over these next seven weeks, we're asking, what can I do? And we are a part of a, a bigger tree, a bigger family, and each individual makes and comes together and makes a larger part. We come to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. I, I, I heard this the other day. Somebody was asking who the shortest man is in the Bible. Anybody want to venture a guess who the shortest person is in the Bible? Nehemiah, Nehi am I. So, so, wah, 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 sorry. You won't forget that one, though, will you? Nehemiah, Nehi am I. Nehemiah, his story opens with a prayer, and his story ends with a prayer. Over these next seven weeks, we are fasting, we are praying, we're asking the question, what can I do? What is it that I can do to serve the church, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ through uh, the church of Aloma Church? Nehemiah... We talk about prayer here today, and, and it's such an important thing because as we come to this idea of prayer, this notion of prayer, as we've already said, his book opens with prayer, it ends with prayer. In fact, 12 times in this journal of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, we've recorded, uh, we have recorded before us expressions of prayer 12 times. It's a very important lesson of, of bending my knee and learning how to pray successfully. God uses people who pray passionate prayers. God uses people who pray passionate prayers. He, he, he uses people who know how to get a hold of him and, and pray with conviction and, and compassion and commitment. Every great movement of God, every great movement of God started by someone who was on their knees praying. And here in these days, we are praying for a great move of God. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word with Bibles open in Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's begin looking in verse number 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now may pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts, uh, though your your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Father, I pray that as we embark upon this great book of Nehemiah and we as a church are praying for spiritual revival, we are praying for spiritual renewal, in our own lives, in the life of our church, in the life of our community. Father, may we have ears to hear what you would have us to say, what you would have to say to us. We ask these things in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, please be seated. Nehemiah is a story of a man, a Jew, who was 
trapped over, hauled away, and he finds himself now ready to return back to Jerusalem. He, he had no desire to go to Jerusalem in the first place, but when he heard that the walls in his uh, town, he had never seen Jerusalem before, but when he heard that the walls had been torn down, his heart was pricked. And, and he didn't run. He didn't just straight run to Jerusalem. No, instead, he began to pray. And we see things about our own prayer life. And that's what I want to talk about today as we embark on these 50 days of, of prayer and fasting. Nehemiah teaches us certain principles that should be present in our own prayer life. Number one, prayer. To pray like Nehemiah, we must be consistent in our prayer life. We must be consistent. This is what we find here in verse 4. As we do the math, we understand that when Nehemiah heard about the walls of Jerusalem, he prayed about this from the time he heard until the time he went, 120 days. This man prayed for 120 days. This is no short prayer. This was no emotional outburst. This wasn't a one and done kind of prayer. It wasn't a flip it, throw this prayer up to heaven and I hope that it, it may stick to, to God's board. No, this was a prayer he prayed again and again and again. He prayed over these days. He, he prayed over these months. He remained consistent in his prayer life. In fact, the name Nehemiah means the Lord is my comfort. And in the midst of his brokenness of life, when he heard about the destruction of the walls there in Jerusalem and those walls were down, those gates were burned with fire, when he heard about the spiritual nature and, and, and how far the moral condition and, and how far Israel, the Jews, had, had gone there in Jerusalem, it broke his heart. It swept him off his feet. And when you get it swept off your feet, what do you do? Well, you get on your knees and pray. Any situation in your life, any situation in your life, maybe you may be facing fractured walls in your life, broken conditions in your life, maybe your marriage, maybe your home, maybe your family, maybe a child that's wandered away, maybe a collapse of a career or the broken downness of a family, whatever the brokenness of your life. It's so often pain that drives us to dependence upon God. It's so often pain that drives us to our knees. How many times through your pain do we discover your purpose? How often is it that through times of testing and times of trial that we discover that this is what God would have us to do? The Apostle Paul said, in my weakness, I am made strong. And so Nehemiah, he, with a broken heart, he gets down on his knees and he prays. A broken heart will put you on bended knees. When you look at the condition of the world around us, the problems that we face, the, the pain that people experience today, so many people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to break our hearts. We ought to ask God to give us a burden. If you got the book that I wrote, I, in the very opening pages of that book, I ask you to write down names of people that are lost and begin to pray for them. Why? Because it should break our heart about the lostness that is around us. What can I do? The reason I want you to discover God's plan for your life here at Aloma Church is so that you can be used by God to reach someone out there. Church, we exist. We exist for the people that are not yet here. 
And as long as you stay disconnected from the life of this body, you will not be helping to build this body. What Nehemiah experiences in his spirit is what I want all of us to experience, the spirit of sacrifice. A heart that is broken, a heart that is willing to step outside of the comfort zone, to go a thousand miles into Jerusalem and get involved in people's lives that he did not know, to care about people he did not know. This is my prayer for this church, that that God would move us outside of our comfort zone, that God would make us very uncomfortable, because when we are uncomfortable, that's when he begins to use us, and he puts us in lives of people that we do not know yet, to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why we're launching Aloma Cares. Because when you see need, when you see people's need for Christ, it enlarges your heart, it it expands your heart, it stretches your faith in order that you would do something more for His glory. It's sacrifice. You say, what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is simply to give up something that we love to someone or something that we love far more. We all sacrifice. You make a sacrifice to drive the car that you drive. Maybe you make a sacrifice to live in the home that you live in. We all make sacrifices. We give up something that we love to something or someone that we love more. I would submit to you that the greatest sacrifice that has ever been uh, given on the face of this earth is the sacrifice of God uh, for His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus being the sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity. And how that is our model for what God has done for us, we should do for Him. And we should make our life a living sacrifice unto the Lord. For 120 days, this man prayed diligently prayed about this one item. God, would you have me to leave the comforts of my home and go to a place and to serve a people that I don't know? 120 days, diligently prayed. There's times for seasons of prayer when we lay aside our our normal schedule, our own plans, and we set aside a, 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 a set number of days to pray. And that, in, that can include fasting. Listen, when you pray, you don't always have to fast. But when you fast, you always have to pray. In the Bible, you're never commanded to to fast when you pray. We're commanded, Jesus even said, pray always. Pray without ceasing. But when we are told in the Scripture to fast, you can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without praying. And over these 50 days, many of us are fasting. You can fast from food. You can take just lunch one day a week or two days a week or three days a week. And and during that time that you would normally be eating your lunch, you set that hour apart. You set that 30 minutes apart and you, you pray during that time that you're fasting. You can fast from something else. You can fast from social media or the internet. It would do some of us a lot of good to get off Facebook for 50 days. get our attention focused back on Him. 
The main purpose of what we're doing is to ask and to discover what can I do? How can I serve the church of Jesus Christ? But I expect that you're also praying and fasting for more things than just that. I am. Yes, I am praying and fasting for God to reveal his will and for us to discover what can I do? What can I do more? I'm praying and fasting. God, what can I do more than what I'm doing right now? But I'm also praying and fasting about other items. I'm not going to share with you everything that I'm praying and fasting about during these 50 days, but one of the things is that God would get a hold of this church's heart and that we would really become a house of prayer. That we would stop saying that we're a house of prayer and we start showing that we're a house of prayer. That we as a church body come together, not just individually, but we come together as groups. And, and, and we don't just talk about praying, but we pray. When Nehemiah began this journey of asking, what can I do? It began with a very consistent prayer life. The second thing we see about his prayer is that we have to have faith. Not only does our prayer have to be consistent, it's not just a one and done but our prayer also requires that we have faith. This is verse 5. You see, he's praying here in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. He, he's prayed to a great God. He said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He's praying with conviction of faith. He, he knows, Nehemiah knows that God is in control. Even though everything else doesn't seem right, like what we just heard from Mark and Debbie, when, when the storms of life come in, we always can understand and remember that God is always in control. God has got this. We know that he's still on his throne. He said, Lord, you answer this prayer because you're a great and awesome God. Because you're a wonderful God. Because you're a faithful God. Because you're a God who meets our needs. Friend, I don't know if you've realized this, but God can handle the problems that you face in life. No matter what problem, no matter what situation, no matter what storm, God can handle that. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that God is bigger than your circumstances, that God is bigger than your storm? First thing that Nehemiah did is the first thing that we should do when we encounter a problem, a crisis, when we have a need, and that is to turn it over to God. Not our last chance, but our first choice. Uh, when we face a need, so often we get so focused on that issue, we get so focused on that problem that we don't have time for God. That's what we saw last week. The disciples were so consumed with fear and the storm that they completely rejected the notion that God could show up in the middle of their storm. And the first thing they should have done was to turn to God. God, you are capable. God, you can handle this. God, you've got this. When I know God's place, in the storm, when I know God's place, and I know my place, that's when I can find my place in the work of Christ. When I know God's place in life, and I know my place in life, that's when I can be able to understand what it is, how I am to serve. When I know that God is above and God is awesome, when I know that my place is not to be God, not to be the Holy Spirit, not to tell God what I demand should take place in my life, that's not my place. That's not my role. 
My place, my role, the same as your place and your role in this relationship with God is a, 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 a relationship, a, a heartbeat, a life of surrender. When I understand that God's in control, I understand my place is a place of surrender. It's at that moment when I surrender, when I sacrifice to a great God, and I understand that he's in control. Remember the lesson of the loaves that we discovered in Mark chapter 6. Jesus taught them when he was rejected. Jesus taught them during the time of multiplication. Jesus taught them when uh, they were out in the middle of that storm. Week after week after week, we saw uh, these past three weeks that God is in control and God always provides. That's the lesson of the leftovers. That's the lesson of the loaves. And he's screaming it to us yet again. I've got this. I've got this. Why does God have to say it over and over and over? The same reason moms and dads, you have to tell or you had to tell your kids over and over and over. We're hard-headed. We have two ears. It goes in this ear and out the other. That's why God says it over and over because eventually, eventually, we're going to get it. And when you get this, listen, when you get this, God is in control that God provides. When you get it, not here, but when you get it here, it will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize your relationship because you understand that no matter what may come against you, no matter what the enemy may throw against you, God is in control and God always provides. This is why I'm doing, this is why I want testimonies, because I don't want you to just hear it from the preacher. I want, to hear, I want you to hear it from others, that I'm not just up here spouting these things. It's real life. God is in control. God has got this. And listen, only God can accomplish this vision. These plans that we have. If, you've ever, if you read chapter 1 of the book, I talked to a couple of people. They said, Pastor, I'm blown away with this vision. It's a big vision. You're talking about Aloma Cares, this ministry to the homeless, this ministry uh, for a pregnancy center. You're talking about a new family building. You're, you're talking about all of these things. This is the vision that God has given to Loma Church. It's a big vision. Yes, it is a big vision. And I believe that when God allows us to see this vision, the reason why it is so big is because when it happens, no man can say, look at what I have done. It's too big for any man to do. It requires God to step in and do it. But he wants you and me to have a purpose and a plan, a part of this vision to serve, be consistent, have faith. Thirdly, stay broken. Stay broken. To be successful in your prayer life, you can't have a haughty spirit. You, you can't be strutting along in life and say, God, I'm talking to you, God. Listen up. Here's what you're going to do, God. You're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. Now, we laugh, but you understand that that's how some preachers and some pastors, especially on TV, teach you to pray, right? God, listen up. I'm here now. I'm the most important person in this room, God, so you better listen up. I'm going to demand these things, and you're going to do it. Is that how Nehemiah prayed? No. And that's not how Jesus taught us to pray either. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. 
You see, God is not, you, you need to get out of your mind that God is some kind of cosmic Santa Claus, that he's an Easter bunny, and, and he's, you, you give him your list, you give him what it is that you want, and he's just going to roll this out. If that is your idea of prayer, if that is your idea of God, you're going to be let down. You understand, friend, that your prayer does not change the mind of God. The point of prayer is not to change the mind of God. God's plan does not change. God knows what he's going to do. You say, well, what's the purpose of prayer? If prayer is not to change God's mind, what is the purpose of prayer? Prayer does not change the mind of God. Prayer is to change the heart of man. The reason why you pray is not to, not to coerce, not, not to bring a, 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 a verbiage to, to persuade God to your, your persuasion. God, you know, those Tennessee Vols aren't, aren't doing good this year. And God, you know that Knoxville, that, that's, that's as near to heaven as, as any place on this earth. And, and God, you know, you know we're, not, we're not here to try to persuade God. We're not here to talk God into our plan. Remember the lesson. If God's in control and God provides, then God has got this. If God has got this, then, then I don't need to talk God into my plan. I need to stop praying that way, and I need to start praying the right way. When you came in, did, did you get the, the prayer sheet already? Did you already get those? Hold, hold it up. I, I don't know if you got it. Did you get it? Good. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. On the back side, I gave you something that I, I've, I've been, this is how I pray. People ask me, how do you pray, Pastor, when, when in your quiet time? On the back side of that form is what I pulled off of BillyGraham.org, and it's how um, he prayed. I don't know where I got this, but obviously this is something that Billy Graham does as well. He prays through the word of Acts using A-C-T-S. A, adoration. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. S, supplication. And you take these four areas of your life and you, you pray for those. The C, confession. This is what we find right here in the book of Nehemiah. He says in verse 6, he says in verse 7, he begins to confess the sins of the people. He begins to confess the sins of the nation. But then he says in verse 7, but even me and my father's house have sinned. He doesn't come saying, God, I demand that you listen to me. No, he comes in a broken heart. He comes with confession. He comes with a contrition of heart, a, a broken heart. Nehemiah recognized that if revival was going to come to the people, if renewal and restoration was going to come to the nation, then it would require weeping, it would require fasting, it would require praying, and yes, confession, getting right with God. Have we become so sophisticated in our church culture that we can no longer say these days, get right with God? We don't hear it anymore. Confess your sins. Repent of your sins. Stop living in the lifestyle that honors Satan. Quit that. Stop that. Repent. Confess. Get right with God. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's confessing his sins. Now, if we confess our sins, we know that he is faithful. When we truly repent of our sins, that we can be forgiven. But I just wonder how many of us pray like Nehemiah did. I wonder how many of us pray with weeping. The sins of a city that he had never seen before broke his heart. His own sins 
broke his heart to the point he began to cry and began to weep. How many of us pray with tears? How many of us pray for our nation? How many of us pray for our friends? You see, this is the point of this whole 50 days is for us to get outside of my own little world and my own little culture and to realize that there's so much more out there that we need to be doing. How many of us pray for ourselves with remorse, with contrition, with commitment like this? The late Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, we pray without tears, we give without sacrifice, we live without fasting, no wonder we sow without reaping. We pray without tears, we give without sacrifice, we live without fasting, no wonder we sow without reaping. And I would only add to that that we sin without confessing, that we sin without repenting. May God help us to confess to the Lord our great need, to be like the psalmist who said in Psalm 139, O Lord, search me and know me and try my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me. God will use us. Friend, God will use you. He will use any vessel that comes to him, but only a clean vessel. doesn't matter how old or how young, how tall or how short. doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your natural language. It, none of that matters. God will use you. God can use you. God wants to use you. Don't bring, do not bring reasons why you cannot be used by God. Don't bring that to me. Because I look in Scripture and I see God using men and women over and over and over again who had everything from speech impediments to skeletons in the closet. If God can use them, God can surely use us. He's looking for those who are willing to fall on their face where they mess up who are more concerned with a clean heart and a clear conscience than what I look like on the outside. He's looking for a clean vessel. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, he was teaching there on the Mount of Olives, and he was looking at those beautiful white tombs above the ground. And he said, you Pharisees, you religious people, on the outside, it makes you make everybody think that you've got it all together. You're beautiful. You're clean. You look like you're doing and following everything that, that God is going to bless. But listen, God is not going to bless you because on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. Christian, Listen to the words of Jesus. You can become so religious that on the outside, everything looks like you've got it all in order. But if there's no confession, if you've come to the place where you say, you know, God's just going to forgive this. I'm, I'm a Christian. And you continue to live in that sin over and over and over Repentance is not a flippant, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and you keep walking the way you're walking. That, that is so foreign to the Bible. 
If you have, this is why I say over and over and over again, I'm not being funny by saying this. If you have a problem with pornography on a computer, you need to take your computer and you need to throw it in the trash can. That's repentance. That's, that's removing it from your life. If you've got a problem with a flirtation person at your work and you're flirting with him or her and you're married, leave that job. It's not worth it. You see, this is where we have to come to. This is where we've got to get to. We, we, we have to stop playing with sin and saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Sin is a huge deal to God. You know how big of a deal sin is to God? You know how big of a deal it is? He had to send his son into this world so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. That's how big of a deal sin is to God. And as a people, we just play with it. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little wink. I don't mean anything by it, friend. You give Satan a foothold, he will take over. God's looking for those who are willing to fall on their faces when they mess up. People who are concerned more about a clean heart and a clear conscience. We live in a me generation. We think it's all about me. Church is all about me. And if we're not careful, we'll carry that carnal attitude and all my time, all my talents, all my treasures are for me. View prayer as a sacrifice. During these 50 days, I want to be free of me, don't you? I, I want to be free of me. I want my life to be about him, about Christ. I want to be free of this disease of me. We live in a generation where people think church is more about getting than giving. Yet Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So many people, may God forgive us. Fourthly, to pray as Nehemiah prayed, we also have to trust the word. Be consistent, have faith, stay broken, forth, trust the word. Verses 8 and 9, we've already read it. When you go back and you read it again, you see that, that, that Nehemiah is praying scripture. He's saying, Lord, remember, Lord, remember what you said to your servant Moses. Now, is he telling God something because God forgot it? Have you ever been in your life and you feel like God's forgotten you? That God doesn't know where you are? I mean, we want to say, no, that's never happened to me. I know that God's always on his throne. I know that's what you want to say, but if you say that and you say, oh, no, I know it all the time, you're lying in church. Lying in church is worse than just lying. You're in God's house and lying. But even the disciples who saw the multiplication, they saw Jesus walking on water, they saw it with their own physical eyes, they still had trouble with this, didn't they? We will too. Now don't miss this, to discover God's will, to accomplish God's will, this is the main ingredient. Trust the word. Go back to the word. What does the word say? Because you're going to have a whole lot of voices that come in your mind. 
When you begin to attempt great things for God, when you begin to say, I'm going to sacrifice my time, my talent, my resources, and I'm going to give it over to the Lord, you better believe that Satan is going to be right there and he's going to attack you and voices are going to come into your head and say that you're not worthy. Voices are going to come in your head and say, you can't do this. What about this bill or what about that? You can't do this. Go back to God's word. What does God say? The most exciting, the most freeing prayer. I, I learned this a few years ago. The most exciting, the most freeing prayer that you can pray is when you begin to pray Scripture. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Lord, I trust you with all of my heart. I'm not going to lean here on my own understanding, but I'm going to acknowledge you in all of my ways. And I know that you, Lord, will direct my path. On that piece of paper I asked you to hold up, on that is 50 promises with 50 Bible passages. I want you over these 50 days, I, I want you as you pray and as you fast, I want you to go back to these promises and be reminded of what God has done for you. Pray the scripture. Pray it out. It's not that God has forgotten, but you're claiming the promises of the Lord you're reminding yourself that God has got this. Because if God said something, if God said it, he's going to do it. You know why we know that? Because we may be a bunch of liars, but God's not one. And if God said he's going to give us this, and God is going to bless this, then he's going to give it to us, and he's going to bless us. Finally, the fine, final point of the prayer of Nehemiah is to get going. Verse 11, we saw earlier, Nehemiah prayed, Lord, behold, I am your servant. One element that is missing in the Christian prayer life today is action. Nehemiah prays for 120 days. What's he praying? Well, his prayer was probably the same as ours would have been. Lord, I, I just heard that there is a situation over there in Jerusalem. I heard that those walls are down. God, give us a miracle. God, take care of your people. God, send somebody over there. 30 days, 40 days, 50 days go by, and Nehemiah's prayer probably changed. God, I believe that you're doing something in my life. God, I believe that you're calling, you, you want me to go. I, I believe that you're calling me, Lord. 70 days, 80 days, 90 days, and 120 days, Nehemiah's prayer probably changed. Lord, if you ain't calling me, you better show me because I'm leaving. Lord, you see how his prayer changed. His, his prayer did not stay day one to day 120. His prayer didn't stay. Lord, over there in Jerusalem, you know those walls are down. Lord, send somebody. That's how we pray. Lord, my dad's lost. Son's lost. Send somebody in their life to share. Don't send me. But oh Lord, I pray that you'll send somebody over to those people that I work with. That you'll put somebody in their life to bring them to Jesus. And we pray that over and over and over. The point of prayer. If you say the same prayer today that you do seven weeks from now, you've completely missed the point. My prayer is that this church, me 
in you that through these 50 days of prayer and fasting, that right now our prayer is, Lord, what would you have me to do? I get that. Lord, what would you have me to do? I believe in a great God, and I believe he's going to speak to every single one of us, and he's going to show us what it is that we need to be doing, how we need to be giving, how we need to be serving. Then when he begins to reveal his will, you stop praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And start praying, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, you better tell me because I'm about to do it. This is how you pray the way Nehemiah prayed. This is how you pray to see the walls that are broken down to be rebuilt.